0: Hotep to the family. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Unapologetic Podcast. I'm your host, Marjorie Stevens, and I'm joined here by my father, uh, Jerome Battle. How are you, sir? I'm good, man. I'm good. Hey, okay, great to have you on uh, the Unapologetic Podcast. If you didn't catch last week's episode, please go back and watch that. But the Unapologetic Podcast is about us basically talking about our perspective. Of the things that are going on in this country, our perspective on history, our perspective on things that really concern the African and American community, and doing it in an unapologetic way. And uh, today's episode is very, very special, in which we will be discussing the misrepresentation of Malcolm X. And I wanted to do this episode because I remember probably about two years ago I posted up something about Malcolm X and. Um, One of the friends at the time commented on it and said that, you know, Malcolm X was a bad leader and he was about hatred. And that's the perspective of most people. So today we're going to dive into some of the philosophies. We're going to dive into the transformation and the growth of Brother Malcolm X and um, really dive into uh, how we can take the spirit of Malcolm And apply it to today and what we're uh, trying to accomplish, especially in the African-American community. So before we get into that, all that, um, this episode is sponsored by Hoya Elite, which is Help Our Youth Excel. And the founder of this organization, Travis Thomas, helps enhance the lives of our youth, their families, by working with individuals and organizations that work towards the common good for our community. We desire to properly educate the youth and adults in health, education, and finances. Our goal is to build a strong foundation for a successful community. You can follow this organization on Instagram at Help Our Youth Excel and on Facebook at H O Y E hyphen Help Our Youth Excel. Again, that's on Instagram, Help Our Youth Excel, and on Facebook, H O Y E hyphen Help Our Youth Excel for upcoming events and how you can partner to push this uh, vision forward. And I I advise anybody in the community or neighboring communities to really invest into this uh, organization that helps our community, helps our youth, and help adults to be able to push our youth to um, excelling. So thank you, Travis Thomas, and your organization for all that you do. Absolutely. Uh, So where I want to start with Pops, I want to just you know, go over who Malcolm is to us, and then we'll go kind of chronologically through Malcolm X's life first. And it gives the people who maybe not be familiar with Brother Malcolm um, a perspective on who he was, and that allows us to go into his philosophies and what he believes. So who is Malcolm X to you? Uh, That's a great question, because actually um, Malcolm transcended, he evolved uh, through his... You know his his time here. He was only forty years old when he was mm-hmm. assassinated. So his 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 time in in the forefront of movements, and I'm I'm using movements in general, uh, was short short lived. Um, but he he some of the concepts that he had regarding politics, um, I think is, will be surprising as we get into some of this. That uh, a lot of people don't know, or maybe have misinterpreted. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think us getting into that is going to show people that the Malcolm X that people may know from the movies, from books, even from black history, Mm -hmm. they're going to find that a lot of that is old. Mm -hmm. Not saying that it's not pertinent because a lot of the things he talked about in the very beginning are very much important. But later on in his life, he found a different approach to communicate those things. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's the whole package. It's from the beginning to the end. That's what Malcolm X means to me, is not just black awareness, but also how we should be looking at politics that led us to this right here, right now. Right. Absolutely. Um, Me, so much the same. Um, When I think of Brother Malcolm, I think of someone who spoke unapologetically, like this podcast, who spoke unapologetically. You know, I was watching some documentaries on, you know. African American politicians and African American entertainers that spoke about Malcolm and they said at first Malcolm scared the hell out of them because the things that he was saying was so truthful, but it was not something that you were supposed to say um to people. I remember you telling me this as a young kid. He was like, you know, you can thank it, but some things you just can't say. And Malcolm said it unapologetically, the truth. And um he held the African Americans to an accountability to pick themselves up and to stop um, making excuses. Blaming the white man. Blaming the white man, blaming anybody, and for white people to stop making excuses of why black people were in the condition they were in. So he spoke so truthfully, and as you look throughout Malcolm's life, there was a growth point through each exposure of his life. So every time he was exposed to more, He grew more. He understood more. He experienced more. Figured out better ways to express himself. Right. And I think he's the ultimate human when we look at it, because a lot of, you know, the books by Alex Haley that's behind you, um, a great autobiography, but it created Malcolm as more of a martyr. You know, there are, are certain books or documentaries that create Malcolm as a martyr. But I believe Mark Malcolm is very, very important to the human psyche because he was human. He said a lot of things that he admitted was wrong and he changed it as he was exposed to more. So as we look through Malcolm's life, which we're about to do chronologically, you can see how. So Malcolm, you know, born of, you know, his mother and father, you know, his mother was very like complex Mm -hmm. uh, because and she actually called her grandfather a rapist who, uh, and she hated the white blood in her and in, in her family. Right. Uh, her father, I me, mean, his father was a Garveyite, which, you know, he spoke Gar Marcus Garvey. If you don't know who that is, you should really do your research on Marcus Garvey and understand that the economic power and the black nationalism he was, um, uh, really doing in the African American community, not just in the African American community in America, but across the globe. Uh, so, Preaching the Garveyites, and then at a young, very at a very young age, Malcolm's father was killed by the Ku Klux Klan in Michigan, not in the South. That's right. In the Midwest, this That's is right. very important. Why I'm saying it's in the Midwest because most people think of the KKK being in the South. That's right. And we have to understand that they were global. Um, and with Malcolm seeing his father being killed, which they called it a suicide, which we all know is very untrue. His mother kind of went crazy. Now, some books say that Malcolm's mother went crazy because of the death. Some say they, he went, she went crazy because of Malcolm's behavior after the fact. Right. Uh, but we're not going to dive into that because that's hearsay. So, but, but there is one one important okay. fact that happened during that time that I think helped shape some of the concepts that Malcolm had early on mm-hmm. is the fact that also there was two insurance policies mm-hmm. where one insurer paid. It was about a thousand dollars, which at the time um, was probably a lot of money. Right. Um, Eighteen dollars a month is what she got. Right. The other insurer, which was a larger insurance policy, they refused to pay because they said it was suicide. Suicide. So what ended up happening is that, of course, welfare and social services ended up coming in when his mom, you know, had a nervous breakdown and basically broke up their family. Right. Yes, he, he had he had five siblings, six siblings, six because he was the seventh. He was. The fourth child mm-hmm. in between. So obviously, that's important because that helped shape some of the concepts that he would talk about later on in life. Yes. So for, just from there, we're already starting to see why Malcolm thought the way that he thought. Because at an early age, he's seen the Ku Klux Klan, he's seen his mother, you know, being uh, mistreated by, you know, the insurance policies. We've seen this at a very early age. And it leads Malcolm to um, actually start stealing. That's right. And through this, you know, they separate all of the kids. They separate them from their mother. Uh, She's thrown in a mental institution. And Malcolm begins to live at a foster home with all white kids. And Malcolm is subjected at a very early age to racism. And he's actually the smartest person in his class. In the all-white class, he's the smartest person. He's voted class president in his class, and one of the the key things that shaped Malcolm's um, change was he wanted to be a lawyer. He told that's the right. teacher he wanted to be a lawyer. The teacher said, "White teacher." White, white teacher, teacher said that blacks aren't lawyers. Yeah, he said, "Um, you know, he said that's that's not gonna work well for a nigger." Right. That, that's pretty much what what the teacher said. Right. Him. That's that's not gonna work out for you. Right. You know? So after this, Malcolm continues his. Bad behavior, as they want to call it. Um, And then he ends up moving to Boston with his sister. Mm -hmm. And in Boston, he's exposed to, I'm paraphrasing here because I'm kind of going through this chronologically and surfacing it. Um, He goes to Boston. He starts to get um, adapted to what they call the nightlife, the city life. Uh, You know, being in uh, the entertainers, doing jazz and blues. Gambling. um, Gambling, smoking weed, selling weed. Pimping. Oh, yeah, all of this thing. So he gets exposed to this stuff and he's a teenager at this time. That's right. He's a teenager That's at this right. time and um, he gets exposed to some people. And he actually, during this process, he commits probably the worst crime of, uh, during that era was dating a white woman that was married. That's right. And uh, through this, you know, Malcolm, you know, strutting around town, develops a reputation for himself and he begins to sell weed and he begins to work on a train. And work by working on the train and allows him to end up into Harlem, New York. And he sees Harlem as a place where he wants to be. And he gets involved in Harlem, New York with um West Indian Archie. um mm-hmm. uh, that that's correct, right? That's right. Okay. That's so correct. West Indian Archie and who, you know, runs numbers. Um, I'm not sure was he I know Sammy was pimping. I think all of them were. Oh, so so they get into the pimping business. Whatever makes money. Right. They were what we would call hustlers. Right. Whatever makes money. You get into the hustler trade and with Malcolm, again, still dating the white girl, going back and forth in Boston, working the train, selling weed, Um, being a con artist is what Malcolm was great at, you know? He began working the numbers for West Indian Archie began carrying a gun, uh, gambling a lot, pulling a gun out, being very, very reckless. Um, and then he gets into, uh, home burglaries and he begins to see home burglaries as an opportunity to, you know, steal from white people. Because one of the things I do want to point out during this time is during the pimping era and during the, um... The clubbing era, he's seen a thing, another important thing. That's right. Which was that white people wanted to party with black people. They wanted to have sex with black people, but they did not want to treat black people equally when it came to, you know, jobs and that's right. housing and all those other things. So that's one of the things that Malcolm's seen about pimping. And uh, pretty much the same way the slave masters would lose, use, use slaves, right. but black slave women. Pretty right. much the same concept. And then, and then moving forward, of course, with the home burglaries, Malcolm gets arrested along with his white girlfriend, her friend, and one of his closest friends and um, another person. They They get arrested. And during the trial period, of course, Malcolm realizes another thing, that the white woman that he's been dating for years said that he forced her to do all of these things. And that left the, that left the last taste in Malcolm's that's life, right. um, and and that's important as well because obviously he initially was arrested for picking up a stolen watch that he had left to be repaid. Right, which is important because he ended up getting eight to ten years eight for to the crimes. Right. So obviously it wasn't because of a stolen watch. Right. He so. he said it. His crime was being with white women. A- absolutely. So, absolutely. Um, and that, that leads into his incarceration. Now, there's a part in this story, if you read the autobiography or if you're just going off the the movie produced by Spike Lee, where it seemed that Malcolm had a drug problem. That's right. But there were close friends to him in my readings that said that was not true. He never used drugs or alcohol. Yeah, they, they said that he may have um, sold it. He may have smoked here or there, but they said it was never a problem to where he was fiending for it, as you see in the movie um, Malcolm X, uh, produced by Spike Lee. Uh, So moving into the prison system, Malcolm is still a con artist. Mm -hmm. He's still conning. He's still finding ways to sell cigarettes, all of this other stuff. So he's still doing this thing inside the prison system, and they actually nicknamed him Satan in the prison system because of his uh, rebellious against um christianity that's right um and then while in prison uh another important thing happens to him which is his brother comes to visit him and he introduces him to nation of islam but before that let's back up one more step before that he also also met a gentleman in prison that according to malcolm x commanded respect Mm -hmm. and he commanded respect for one reason and one reason only he was a reader he was a person who liked, who loved to read books, and to Malcolm, Malcolm figured that's a different approach to command respect than what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. So that's important. So we want to make sure that, that everybody that, okay. understand that that he he saw somebody that he thought commanded respect only because they read books. Right. So now in the movie, that's his name is Bain in the movie, but I don't think that's his actual name. Absolutely, that's right. Um, as as moving forward, I think that was symbolic of of that person that Malcolm was talking about. Um, so moving forward, you know, he's introduced to the nation of Islam by his brother. And first off, he's he's not interested at all when he first hears about it. And the more he began to talk to his brother and his sister, and his sister. Um, they continue to influence him by, and the one key thing that influences him is the white man is the devil. That's right. Because of his circumstances, the right. things that he had been through since he was six years old. And that's, why we, went, that's why we just went through that Absolutely. chronologically, because you have to understand why Malcolm thought the way that he thought and why Nation of Islam um, really attracted him so much, because it was the reality for him. Absolutely. So it was more than just saying something to believe in. You, you have to see the reality of it, of what you're experiencing and what you see on an everyday basis. And Malcolm was like, you know what? you kind of right. That's right. Especially when he looks at his situation and feels like the white man was responsible for a majority of the bad things that happened to, to him to and his family. Right. Um, and then you have on the other end, you have somebody saying, yeah, the reason that happened is because the white man's the devil. Right. This was all part of the master plan. Right. You're going to listen. Well, more than likely you're going to listen because what else you got to do You're in prison? Right. So you're trying to grasp onto something for hope. An understanding of why I am where where I am. Right. And I can tell you that from experience, because that's usually what happens when you're in that situation, that you start thinking about the things that put you where you are. Right. And to him, it was the white man. Right. And he's hearing that from this group called the Nation of Islam, which was a black movement intertwined with the religious beliefs. With the religious beliefs. So, again, this is not new to Malcolm. It's new, but it's not new because, again, you have to go back. And this is the reason why we brought up the Garveyite with his father. You have to go back to Marcus Garvey to understand the teachings of Marcus Garvey from um, I, I Dr. Wayne Nobles. Right? That's, right, that's Dr. right. Dr. Wayne Nobles. Mm-hmm. So when you begin to look at history especially my african that that's listening to this, I don't want you to listen to this and just take our word for it. That's right. I want you to go back and I want you to research Marcus Harvey. I want you to go back and research Dr. You Noble. W. w-, 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 w- B. Du Bois. Go that's back right. and research and you will understand why Malcolm thought the way that he thought because this stuff is being pushed on him at an early age. He hears this stuff. He may not have understood it, but he's hearing this stuff and, and things are starting to come full circle for him um why he's in prison so why he's in prison he learns to educate himself he's going to self-educate himself on reading books understanding life um and history is one of his most important things that he starts to read about he starts to read about history and he learns about the european that's right and and what's one of the main things that he learns about he starts to figure out why they think the way that they think and why the black people think the way that they think. So going into the Nation of Islam after he's released from prison, he starts as being a, um, he's not immediately a minister. He's like more of like a person that does the promotion. That's right. right. That's right. And uh, it, it didn't take long though. Right. Uh, once he was released from, from prison, he moved up the chains pretty quickly. Right. Um, from temple to temple. And obviously, one of the things that allowed him to move so quickly was, is that there was a black Muslim who was arrested, um, supposedly for something regarding somebody white. And they arrested him and they beat him. And Malcolm went to the police department to see him. Mm -hmm. And first they said, no, you you can't see him. Right. So within 10 minutes, there was 50, 100 other black Muslims standing outside the police department with Malcolm. So they decided we're going to let him go in and talk to him. So he we went in, talked to him. They said, well, we're going to hold him. So, said, okay, well, as long as you're going to treat him fairly. Right. By the time Malcolm went back outside, it had went from 50 to 100 to over 4,000 people. Right. So the power that Malcolm had early on, and you got to remember, there's no cell phones. There's no social media. <laughs> These are just people picking up the phone going, Malcolm's down here doing it. He's he's out here, and people came from all over to support this cause. Right. So that was the beginning of where Elijah Muhammad saw the power that Malcolm X possessed. Right. And again, this is through his experience that Malcolm becomes very, very devoted to the nation of Islam. And one of the reasons why he also moved up quickly in the ranks is because... Of his strict disciplinary um, views. Because there were people in the Nation of Islam, his brothers included, who did not follow the disciplinary things, the principles of Nation of Islam. And Malcolm coming into it, he took into it 100%. That's right. He walked the talk. And there were some ministers that didn't like it because... It held them accountable right. for the for the things that they did. We're going to get into a little bit more about that later, but that's one of the things that Malcolm did. And, of course, Malcolm rises to prominence, um, becomes one of the main speakers for the Yulajah Muhammad um, and be, creates a name not only for the nation of Islam, but creates, creates a name for himself. Um, but We're going to get into that a little more. We're going to take a quick break for a second while we um, regroup, and we'll be right back in a second. And we are back. Uh, Again, this episode is sponsored by Hoya Elite. Help our youth excel. Please go out and check out their organization. um, Contribute to their organization. Be involved in their organization as much as you can. All right. So we just went through Brother Malcolm's um, chronological life. Surfaced it. Surfaced. And the reason why we're surfacing is because you have access to the same things we have (laughs) access to. So we we don't want to give you the information without you coming to your own conclusions and reading up on it on yourself. So, again, one of the main reasons why I want to do this topic is because of the way I was introduced to Brother Malcolm X. Um, And and in the same way that most people are uh, introduced to Brother Malcolm X is through the school system. So in the school system, I remember the the way that I was introduced to Brother Malcolm was by comparison of Dr. King. Mm-hmm. So Dr. King had maybe two pages in that social studies book that we were reading in school. And by going through Dr. King in those two pages, there might have been two sentences about Malcolm X. And About Malcolm X was to draw comparison to Brother King and to why Brother King was more of the person to lean towards other than the vigilante That's right. or um, person of brother, uh, brother Malcolm X. That's right. So one of the things that uh, the teacher said was, you know, Dr. King was, you know, nonviolent and really helped the civil rights movement when Malcolm X was more violent and hatred. And she was asking the class, like, so we should really follow Dr. King. Right. And everybody like, like all the kids of right. are like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like we're nonviolent. We want to get along. And it really was not just due of Malcolm. That's right. Learning it in the school system. But I do, that's just in Bedford County, of course. Actually everywhere. Um, and, and, well, I do give other schools credit from the city because the autobiography of Malcolm X is actually a required reading in some high right. schools. That's right. There was no way Bearford County was going to lie. Right. This, I, I think in the city, me growing up in, in the inner city of Washington, D.C., we had access to other materials that you guys may not have access to here, which is why I would give you all the information that I had. Right. It's because we had access. to. Them. My dad made sure we had that. We had encyclopedias. We didn't have Internet. Right. Uh, we had encyclopedias, <laughs> but we had access to black history. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we would dive into it all the time. So when we heard things about Martin Luther King in comparison to Malcolm X, he was like, whoa, wait a minute. That's not true. Right. You know, I uh, know. Obviously, when you look at uh, Martin Luther King coming from the South, you have to look at it in perspectives. OK, he's coming from the South. He's a minister. Mm-hmm. OK, so he's Christianity because he's a Baptist minister. That that's key. That, that's, that's, key. The, that's key. That's key. And he's nonviolent. Right. Okay. So you you're you're basically incorporating major aspects of what most southern blacks believed and followed. Right. And used for inspiration. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh spirituality, whatever. Whenever there was an issue, you went to the minister, the black minister that would speak out about certain things. Right. Up north it was a little different, especially when you talk about Malcolm X, because here you got you have a guy in the 50s 1950s talking about Islam, Mm -hmm. where a lot of people didn't even know what that was. So I got a Muslim. What is a Muslim? Six foot three, black man, talking about hatred towards the white man, publicly. Right. That's that's scary. I mean, even if you think about today, uh, 2021, to hear that would almost be, wait a minute, I want to make sure my boss not... Watching me listen to this. Well, you know, yeah. my job might be in jeopardy. I'm listening to this guy talking this manner. So you talk about 1950s, a guy's talking about black Muslims and hatred towards white people publicly. Right. Which is goes everything against American principles. A- absolutely. So, so for number one, we understand the difference is. Well, let's look at it geographically. So geographically, it's a difference between right. North and South. Absolutely. We understand even now today that going South and North is two different countries at That's one right. time they were success. So we do understand that North and South were two different places to handle certain things. Right. So in regards to Dr. King... He was right in some areas that we can't speak the way Mal was speaking because we know what had happened to us in the South if we do that. Exactly. But we're going to get to that. So we're going to dive into Dr. King in an, another episode because his philosophy's changed as well as we've seen the, uh, Brother X's did. That's right. Um, so moving on. So you got number one, you got geographical area. Number two, you got experiences. Mm-hmm. So Dr. King grows up in a household where he's educated. He comes from a, uh, his father's a minister. Mm-hmm. He comes from a, a home and a well-put-together home, we can That's say. right. Okay? So, already we see the differences in him and Malcolm X. That's right. You know, Malcolm X's father killed at a very young age. Uh, mother thrown in the mental institution. He basically raises himself almost. That's right. Um, without regards to his sister. His sister did, you know, what she can do and mm-hmm. really influences Malcolm's life. Um, but already we see somebody that was educated through the school system to somebody that basically self-educated right. themselves through the streets, as That's we would right. call it. So number one, you got geographical area. Number two, you got the way in which they was raised. Number three, in America is key, which is Christianity versus Islam, because we know that white people are going to side with Christianity. That's right. And I'm e- just being e- even I'm, most blacks, especially, e- especially even especially most blacks in the 1950s, even today. Because Derogatory called in the 50s, they weren't called Islamic. They were called black Muslims. That's right. Not Muslims, black Muslims. There was a reason why they were called that. So we already see the separation of why America gravitated towards Dr. King and not Malcolm X. And the key thing is, of course, the nonviolence versus self-defense. That's right. That's why we have to, to highlight this point. Is because Malcolm was not advocating violence. Malcolm was advocating self-defense, self-defense towards violence of African Americans. Because uh, Louis Farrakhan actually said in the interview, I watched the, um, I watched a while ago. I rewatched it yesterday. Was there is no history of African Americans being violent towards white people That's in right. America. Absolutely. So, when, and when you talk about Malcolm X being violent, there is no evidence. There is no history of the nation of Islam being violent towards white people. That's right. We do not have it. Now, Malcolm wanted to but what Elijah Muhammad put a stop to it twice. (laughs) He wanted to. He wanted to. That's right. But in self-defense. In self-defense. And saying they did this to us. We have to retaliate and and protect ourselves, protect our people, protect our communities. And that is the thing that gets misconstrued when it comes to self-defense and nonviolence. That's right when it comes to Brother Act. And then there was a huge difference in philosophies between um, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. It, uh, obviously, Martin Luther King felt like civil rights um, was the best approach in mm-hmm. causing change. Mm-hmm. And Malcolm disagreed. Um, a lot of people misinterpret separation as segregation. And right. that's not what Malcolm was about. He was about separation, not segregation. hmm and what that meant is he wanted black people to own their own communities. Mm-hmm. He wanted them to own the businesses, the housing. They, they wanted he wanted them to be a part of the, the politics, right? Instead of having whites own those things and then have black people live in those communities, right? That separation. The other thing is, is Malcolm wanted to take the human rights approach, not the civil rights. Right, the civil rights. And, and for those that that are in school right now. I'd like for you to take a look at the difference between civil rights and human rights. And a lot of people, including myself, years ago used to think, well, in order to have human rights, they got to first acknowledge you as a human being. Right. 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 So civil rights should come first. No, oh, I was wrong. Right. The more I read about Malcolm X, the more I realized that his approach probably would have been the right approach in the 1950s. But more so right now, is because human rights, just just to give you a quick example, human rights are things that you have just by being a human being. Mm -hmm. Okay? I have the right as a human being to walk to walk down the street without being murdered. That's a human right. That's a human right. That's a human right. right. Okay. Civil rights is the insurance and protection of your human rights. Okay. So just so people can understand. What Malcolm wanted to do is say, let's fight for human rights. Let's be acknowledged as a human being first right. before we say, please don't discriminate against us exactly. for being black. Exactly. So that was his approach. Also, second, second part of that is he wanted to get the United Nations involved. Right. And I'll be honest with you, 1950s, I don't know how many black people even knew about the United Nations. I don't know how many white people really knew what the United Nations were. He wanted to take the same concepts other countries was using right. about human rights and say, let's get the United Nations involved. And why was this critical? Is because if you have the power of human rights and you have the, uni- the United Nations supporting you, they would have forced America to do something different. In other words, we it's gonna hurt your export and import. You hurt somebody in the pockets even today, they'll listen. If you think about why rioting is so influential today is because of money when you start hurting people's pockets they start listening and and that's what he wanted to do is get the united nations involved and say hey we're we're gonna we're gonna stop dealing with america if they don't do something about how they're treating blacks in the country so i I thought that was the, the more you read about malcolm x and his approach the more you'll start understanding why he did not think civil rights was the right approach. He thought human rights was the better approach. Right. And that that was um Malcolm going into internationalism as we right. called it. And Dr. King also started to figure out the same thing, and we'll talk about that another time. Uh so he established um again we're we're fast-forwarding here, we're going to go back. So he established the Organization of Afro-American Unity, which was a uh global scale of um basically what Malcolm wanted to do was be the attorney for African-Americans, putting America That's right. uh, on the stand. That's right. So one thing about the U.N. is we have to understand is the U.N. protects human rights. That's right. So you can be a country. You can have your constitution. You can have your laws and you can have what you deem as civil rights. That's right. You can have that in your country. But once those civil rights go from discriminating against human rights now we have to intervene and the person that is best of doing this is the united states that's right so when you look at world war ii especially they were violating human rights during the holocaust that's right so this is why every other country got involved because they were violating human rights of jewish people that's right so when you step when you understand that why Malcolm said the 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 um the chickens coming home to roost is because America puts themselves in other people's business, but don't want anybody else in their business. That's right. And one of the businesses that that people that Malcolm wanted people to be in was the African-American business. Understand how we're being treated. You see on the news that they're spraying them people with water hoses. You seeing that they stick them dogs on it, and they're following the law. That's right. The people who are doing this to them are not following the law. The, the 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 desegregation of the school happened 10 years before they actually did it. That's right. So the kids going to school, being spit on, they're following the law. That's right. The people who are resisting it are not following, are not the, following law. the law. So understanding the human rights and civil rights, and I have here, because if you don't know what we're saying, it says, number one, human rights are the rights that an individual enjoys because of he's a human being. That's right. He or she is a human being. Absolutely. Civil rights are rights that are in an individual enjoys by virtue of citizenship. So the Constitution was written in America before African-Americans was considered uh, citizens of America. Right. So once the Emancipation Proclamation happens... Of African-Americans were supposed to be deemed as citizens, but we'd see that did not happen. Absolutely. So this is why African-Americans were protesting. This is why African-Americans were marching because they were not seen as number one, human. human. And number two, their civil rights were being violated as well. Absolutely. So number two, the go- no government body, group or person can derive human rights to an individual. Civil rights protect the individual from discrimination and unjustifiable actions by others, government, or any organization. So, civil rights is related to the constitution of each country, wherein human rights are considered a universal right. This is why the UN was important, because it's universal. While human rights do not change from one country to another, civil rights do. So, this is why civil rights is a lower stature of human rights, because it can change from country to country. So, and also uh, human rights are universally accepted rights regardless of nationality, religion, ethnicity. Now, we know America as being home of the freedom of the person. That's right. The religion. The nationality, ethnicity, the heritage, whatever, this is the place that's supposed to be free. That's right. But there was no freedom. And in some cases, there's still not, because we're still arguing over the same stuff. That's right. Um, there there is no difference. And this is why human rights versus civil rights was such a big argument for uh Malcolm X versus the civil rights movement that Dr. King um uh, then were advocating. And in an interview, Dr. King I'm sorry, Brother Malcolm said that one of the key things that I loved that he said was he said I have no problem with the civil rights movement. He said my only problem is it's going to take too long. Yeah, because the problem is once you sit down with Kennedy, once you sit down with Lyndon B. Johnson, they're going to give you something because they don't they don't want you to go off. So they're going to give you something. That's right. But when they give you something, it's going to take them ten years to give you something else. He actually said that uh, in terms of. the civil rights. He said he strongly believed that civil rights would not be enough to overcome the years of slavery in Jim Crow's laws, Jim Crow law. Right. He didn't think it was going to be enough mm-hmm. because, just as you said, we were fighting for something we already had. Already had. What we didn't have was human rights. Right. That's what we didn't have. So, to them, in a sense, the government was saying, let us do those marches, man. I don't even know why you're trying to stop them. Let them do it. Right. They're fighting for something they already they should already have. Right. If they have the law on their side. Mm-hmm. But the problem was we nobody was prosecuting the offenders that was breaking the law at the time, which was law officials. Right. There was nobody arresting those folks. Right. You know, because it was a violation of human rights. Somebody should have been arresting those people. Right. And had we been having a human rights movement it probably would have happened soon. Right. And I do want to point out one of the big misconceptions that a lot of black people and white people have no idea because I just had a conversation with a person who's well, um, well, intelligent in in politics. One of the things that he did not understand and he did not know that a lot of black people don't know either is you were fighting for voting rights, as you said, that you already had. had. Right after slavery happened, black people were voting in the South. That's right. What we couldn't do is they made it difficult for us to register the vote. Right. So you had the right to vote. You could go vote if you wanted to. The thing is, you probably weren't going to be killed for doing it. That's right. That is a violation of human rights. That's right. So the civil rights movement um, and what Malcolm was saying was it's backwards because there are people that are voting. There are black people that are voting. There are black people that are registered to vote. Their civil rights isn't being violated because they can go vote. But they are being intimidated, so killed, lynched, thrown in thrown in prison for doing so. That's right. That was the problem. So when you look at history, especially my African Americans as listening, we got to know our history. That after slavery, African Americans were voting for it, years. Here, here's another example that proves that point. For those that don't know, poll tax in the South. Right. For the the states that had a poll tax, what that poll tax was for is that you had to pay to vote. Vote. So who's most affected by that? African-Americans. African-Americans. Couldn't afford it. Mm -hmm. So then when they got rid of the poll tax, they created precincts, voting districts. Right. And they would make your voting district in a predominantly black community way over town. Right. How are you gonna get there? How are you gonna get there to right. vote? So again, these were violations of human rights, not civil rights. Oh, and, and the third one was of course, um, they began to you had to have a literacy to mm-hmm. be able to vote. And of course, who were the people who weren't educated after slavery? I mean, you you think about the South right now, and one out of five, one out of five African Americans had a fifth-grade education or less. Right. One out of five. Right. One out of five. Right. So we understand just off of that why Brother Malcolm was so pressed on the civil rights movement um, because of the civil right part. And, of course, another thing that um, Malcolm X, um, even with Dr. King, kind of, you know, were – they separated a little bit was politics, the Democratic Party versus the Republican Party. Right. Um, and one of the things that Dr. Um, that, that brother Malcolm X said was the Democratic Party is responsible for racism because we do have We do understand for the Democrat people that vote Democrat today that the Democrats were at one time the racist people of the South and. That exists in the country today and the Republican Party as well. Now, today, as we see racism in the Republican Party and both parties. But one of the things that Malcolm talked about was both were racist. And he, he talked about one being the fox and one being the wolf. That's right. That the white liberal would be the fox and act like he actually cared about the African American. That's right. And whenever. Whenever it was the time, he would still have them on their dinner plate. And the wolf very rarely caught the African-American or caught the, the lamb because he didn't pretend he already was up front. Right. And, again, that goes back to geographical area during Dr. King and Malcolm X time. The South the were very blatant in how they felt about African-Americans. Even today? The North. <laughs> Even today? Yeah. The North would smile on your face and then stab you in the back. Because they'll take your money up north. Right. Down south, they didn't want your money. Hence, Life, the movie like we love so much. Right. You know, when Eddie Murphy and and, uh, uh, Martin Lawrence wanted to get a piece of pie. Yeah. They didn't want their money. They didn't want want your money. money. Now, up north, they'll take take your money. Right. You know, but I still don't like you. but I'll take your money. Right. So, one of the things that Brother Malcolm said is they'll talk it. They'll always talk it, but they won't practice it. And we see that today, of course, with... uh, Trump, Biden, and even uh, Kamala Harris. Uh, so even with that, because I want to put it in perspective of today, that we understand that Trump was definitely the wolf. He made it very, very clear how he felt about black people. And he made it very, very clear what he wanted to do by saying, what other choice do you have? That's right. I'm like, your best choice. I'm your best choice. Your best choice. You, you look how you live. He was very honest. He was very wolf-like about he it. even said that I may be the least prejudiced person. And you know what that means? That means he is, prejudiced. <laughs> he is prejudiced. Right. That just means he's least prejudiced right. than some other folks, but it does mean he's prejudiced. And then when we look at Joe Biden, we understand that Joe Biden has a history of not helping Black people, and, and we're open about it, right? And we have we also see Vice President Kamala Harris, who I'm not taking anything away from the African American sisters that put on the pearls and wear the Converse's, and we want to champion the first African American Vice President, but let's have an honest conversation of what she's done in the past. So we have to look at her past and we have to hold her accountable as well because she didn't become this pro-black candidate until after she lost and putting herself into the vice president um, of Joe Biden. Joe Biden knew what he was doing by putting her on that ticket by getting your vote That's because right. she's African American. And all of a sudden it was the converses, then all of a sudden it was popping up on the verses and talking about the African American community. Again, we have to understand the wolf and the fox. That's right. So, I I understand you guys logic of voting for the 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 lesser of the two evils, but we have to begin to understand why brother Malcolm felt the way that he felt about politicians because we've seen it in the Reagan era of pushing African Americans into the prison system. We've seen it in the Bush era of Republicans pushing them in the prison system. And then we've seen it in the Democratic era of Bill Clinton doing the same thing. Bill. So That's we right. understand that both parties are doing the same thing. One of them is just promising you something that they have not um done yet. That's right. And and, and Malcolm foreseen that. He he talked about that in 1960, 1961, where obviously and, and this holds true. Democrats will be true. Two Democrats. Right. Right. So if you think about how most people's parents voted, my parents was Democrat. Mm-hmm. So most likely if when I became eligible to vote, you to be Democrats. I was going to vote Democrat. Most blacks are Democratic um, because it, the perception is that they do more to help black people. OK, right. so the Republican, the liberal Republican is the one that's not true to their party, right. which is why Barack Obama won presidency twice. Right. Because obviously if every black in the United States voted for Barack Obama and every white person voted for whoever the whoever was running against him, he would have never won. McCain. Yeah. He, he would never won. Barack would have never won. Right. Obviously there were some liberal Republicans, the conservative Republicans are always going to vote Republican. We've seen that just this weekend. Right. Okay. They're always going to vote Republican, even if it doesn't... They don't totally agree with what's going on. They're going to stay Republican. So the liberals, the liberal Republicans are the ones that make the difference. Right. But as you just said, they just want to be on the winning side. Yes. They don't care about black black improvement. Mm-hmm. They don't care about that. What they care about is I just want to be on the winning side. So right now it looks like you guys are going to win. I want to be on that side. Right. Okay. And that's how Malcolm thought now, I'm not saying that he was 100% correct. That's not for me to say. Right. But for me, I agree. You right. know, I agree. And, and, and that's the thing about this podcast, again, we're not here to make your thoughts our thoughts. We're not here for that. We're not here to make you think Malcolm's thoughts. We're here for you to just think. Just think. Just think. That's all we're here to do. Do your research, think, come to your own conclusion. That is what this is about. Because when we understand politics, when we understand um, when we understand that we understand the economy as African Americans that are listening, then we can understand how to grow from it. We can understand who's manipulating us and who's not. We can understand what That's it right. is that we can do. And this is why Brother Malcolm always talked about that we have to become socially aware, politically aware, and economically aware of what's going on in our community. Who we're voting for in our community, who we're voting for on a state level, who we're voting for on a national level. We have to understand what they're where are they going to do for us? Because I believe the African-Americans have been promised so much and we have seen little results from both parties. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I I know you saw that video that Ice Cube did. This was probably before the election, some couple of months before the election. Yes. Where he said, you know, everybody wants wants Trump out of presidency. Let's say day one, he's out of presidency. Then what? what? What do you get? What do you get? Then what? What do you get? So at the end of the day, I want you to put this, let's go back 1960, 1961, 1963, um, when Malcolm was talking about civil rights versus human rights. If you you go fast forward just a little bit in 1964, when the civil rights uh, bill was passed mm-hmm. um, in that summer, right? It was the bloodiest summer. For civil rights ever right so you signed the bill yet blacks are still being yes. killed yes so w- w- what did you gain right now again i'm not taking anything away from the civil rights movement i don't want anybody to go oh jerome was against the civil rights movement i was not right i'm just saying that the point is what did we gain day one from that right what did we gain let's fast forward 2021 think about uh just a not even a year ago uh, Aubrey, Ahmaud Abru- Ahmaud Ahmaud Arbery Arbery. was shot jog- jogging jogging down the street. We talked about one of the examples of human rights was as a human being, I have the right to walk down the street. Right. Now, we can add jog down jog. the street. He had a human right, right to be able to jog down the street and he got murdered. So, we're back where we were in 1950s when Malcolm X was talking about Human right. rights. Right. We got the civil rights. We got that. Right. But we still suffer. And, and and that is a problem with our, of course, our laws is Malcolm also said that if the laws pertain to African Americans in this country, there would be no need for new laws. Exactly. Because all of these laws of stand your ground, these laws of um the no-knock warrants, all of these things are trying to help black people because we're still years later. Fighting the same fight. That's right. Because the laws that were created were not created with you in mind. That's why you have amendments. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's why. Think about all the amendments that we talk about. All the amendments that people talk about. Even when you talk about the Fifth Amendment. You know. Right. All these things were things that were not included originally mm-hmm. in the Constitution. Right. So they had adding. Right. Okay. To try to level the playing field. Because it already wasn't leveled. Right. All right. So I, I, just, I, I want people to do, do your homework. Do, it is important that you do your homework. This is one of the things that Malcolm talked about a lot, is he wanted people to be more knowledgeable about the system. In fact, when he left the Nation of Islam, he didn't want anybody to follow him that did not agree with his, his concepts. Right. He told him, hey, stay with Elijah Muhammad. If you believe in those concepts, then you stay in it. He, he, so he, didn't, he wasn't trying to persuade anybody. Mm-hmm. What he wanted people to do is do your homework. Right. Find out what you think makes sense to you. Right. Okay. He wanted you to be able to have an intelligent conversation, one that was comprehensible, mm-hmm. something that you can understand, and hopefully communicate to someone else, which is why even today, we're still having the same conversation about Malcolm X. Absolutely. Uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back to wrap this thing up. Uh, stay tuned. And we're back again. This episode is sponsored by Hoya Elite. Help our youth excel. If you are in the Bedford community, in the Lynchburg community, in the Roanoke community or any neighboring community, please get in contact with Travis Thomas and support that organization. That it does a lot for our youth and our community, not just in Bedford, but Lynchburg as well. We love that brother. We Absolutely, man. You're talking about somebody with just a a heart of gold that just wants to help. That's all. That's all he is. And when and you he's have the, with, he's excellent with kids. Excellent, excellent, excellent with kids. Um, so we love you, brother, and thank you for all the work that you do. All right. So coming up on the next topic, when it comes to breaking down Malcolm X. Um, principles and philosophies uh, is one that's important, but it changed over time. But And I believe both are important to talk about, whether whichever one you believe in. I spoke to a, uh, a brother who really follows the nation of Islam, and I asked him, you know, which one should we talk about? He said, absolutely. He said, you should definitely talk about um, this topic and do it in a way that, you know, where you don't have to be an a-hole um, in talking about it. And the concept is capitalism versus socialism. And this was another difference between Dr. King and Malcolm X at first. But I believe before they died, they actually came to the same conclusion on which one would be best for the African and American. Right. Can you talk about that for a second? Let me grab my truck. Uh, real quick, you know, when it, when uh, Malcolm X in some of his first speeches, the first thing he said was he was a communist. Mm-hmm. Okay. That was early on. You know, he believed in communism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then he shot away from that a little bit. And, you know, at the time, there was basically three schools of thoughts, if you don't include ones like Marxism and and nationalism, um, would have been capitalism and then socialism. Right. Capitalism, the problem with capitalism is, is that blacks didn't own businesses. So again, he felt like blacks would end up suffering from the concept of capitalism because white people would have made all the money and controlled everything, Mm -hmm. where blacks didn't own businesses. So you would have had these businesses, once again, in the black communities, and everything would have been owned by the white man, and then blacks would have been oppressed, Mm -hmm. okay? So quickly he realized that that concept was not going to work until blacks started owning more things. Right. So that wasn't going to work. So socialism, the problem he has with socialism is you got to separate. Let's separate socialism. Because socialism is two schools of thoughts within one. The first is that the government is the one that's supplying the social assistance right um things like welfare right right and then the other part of socialism is recycling black dollars so having black businesses and then people going to those businesses and spending their money right so that's two parts of socialism he was trying to figure out how can we accomplish that without the government mainly because of how he felt like the welfare system is what divided his family Mm -hmm. so when he thought about socialism He quickly put that in perspective of how effective is a family. He directly associated the welfare system and social services with basically destroying his family. Right. Um, So it was difficult for him to get over that and start thinking about we need social policies from the government that's going to help black people. Right. So once he developed that and he could understand it and articulate it to the masses. I think is where he became um, more where people were listening to him a little bit more mm-hmm. because obviously you're going to need the government involved. If it's going to be any type of assistance going to black people, it's going to have to come from the government mm-hmm. because at the time, black people didn't own a lot of business. Right. So I think that's where his concept started to change. Uh, so w- when we look at this, the reason why this is important to the people listening is One of the reasons that Dr. King, number one, was talking about socialism uh, versus capitalism is because a lot of people linked the capitalism to the racial injustice that was going on into this country and which we can kind of still see today. So um, one of the the quotes that I have is is, um, that Brother Malcolm said is just as the white man can do for himself and his kind. That we can do for ourselves and our kind. So what he was talking about was the way that white people are able to take the money and cycle it within their community. That is what black people should be doing. And one of the things that he references, you don't go to Chinatown and see black businesses. That's right. You don't go to Jewish neighborhoods and see black businesses so he said why do we go to black neighborhoods do we see white businesses jew businesses korean businesses all except black businesses because we're not following the capitalism state and getting on board with recycling our dollars within each other right. so we get what we have to do is we have to educate one thing he said to educate our people into importance of knowing that when you spend your dollar out of the community in which you live in the community uh, what you spend your money becomes richer and richer and the community of which you take your money becomes poorer and poorer. So every time that you see somebody in, with a business in your neighborhood or with a hustle in your neighborhood and you don't support them and you don't put money into it, the money goes to wherever you spend your money, which is most likely with the white business. Right. And what one of the things that one of my teachers talk about, Dr. Cobb, uh Kamine, is you pay for their kids scholarships. That's right. You pay for their tuition fees. You pay for their their trust. And then you say, I ain't got enough money to spend my kids send my kids to college, is because you paid their way into college by not cycling your money through the, the community. And when we look at black businesses, what can that do? Number one is when we complain about black people not being employed. They're not employed by white people. That's right. So when you cycle your money through black businesses and in your own community, those black people in your community can then give jobs out to the black people that you live with that cannot find job outside of their community. So this is why capitalism is such an important thing or democratic socialism, if you want to call it that, is cycling the money through within the system. So we can be able to begin to uh, build up our neighborhoods, build up our community and create um, programs. And school systems where we can educate the way we want to educate. That's right. But as long as we continue to funnel the money through the white community, they'll be in control of the economic basis of of the country. And we know that the power of the dollar runs the country. That's right. And whether people want to agree with this or not, that is a form of segregation. Right. And that's what Malcolm talked about. That's still a form of segregation. Right. So when we look at, you know, in the speech of the ballot or the bullet, he makes it plain on how black buying back blind buying black benefits us. And he points out how not buying black creates our uh, create other opportunities for other people that are outside of our community. That's right. So after we set up something of our own, we can no longer have to beg other people for jobs because we can begin to funnel that money, we can create opportunities for each other. Um, in which we see somebody that gets blasted for it, somebody that has done just that, which is um, Brother LeBron James by starting his own school. Uh, Russell Westbrook is starting his own school to where they're recycling the money back into their community. Um, so when we talk about this, we, we see it from a capitalism standpoint. Um, but another thing that he says is you can't talk about solving the economic problem of the Negro without talking about billions of dollars. We are are treading in difficult waters because it really means that we're saying that something is wrong with, with capitalism. There must be a better distribution of wealth and maybe America must move toward a democratic socialism. This is Dr. King's quote. And I believe Dr. King is saying that because in his right, he's right too. That's right. By saying that when we talk about trying to get into capitalism, They have a head start on us. That's right. Because one of the problems that African-Americans have and small business owners to tell you is gaining access to capital as an African-American to be able to start your business. Absolutely. And there's nothing there's been nothing passed to help African. There's been things passed to help the immigrants. So that's why you see Korean stores. That's why you see Japanese stores. They come in here and they have access to capital where African Americans, where the country have been built on their back, does not have access to capital. That's right. And I'm going to read an article from you. Uh, that says um, one of the biggest barriers to black and minority entrepreneurship stems from long held beliefs by banks and other financial institutions that these entrepreneurs are higher risk candidates for mortgages and other loans. Take, for example, J.P. Morgan Chase, whose leadership has been outspoken in the need to support entrepreneurs of color, even releasing photos of CEO Jamie Demion kneeling in front of a bank vote with other team members in a gesture of solidarity with black americans but some aspects of the banks linden's behavior tell a different story jp morgan is the largest bank in the united states and they do more loans in on the north side of chicago lincoln park than they do combined in all of the predominantly african-american neighborhoods in the city so there are segments of their business that they still aren't living up to the standards that they have publicly stated that needed to happen. So we understand, and this article is written by um, I'm sorry, I don't have the name, but he's out of uh Northwestern University. And it, it just talks about the prejudice of being able to get into that capitalism market for us African Americans. Right. Absolutely. I would even, I would even suggest that people Listen to a, a doctor by the name of Carol Anderson at Emory University, and she talks about some of the same things. Because a lot of the 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 way that banks give loans, uh, the way that CEOs give promotions within companies, right. are based on their interpretation and understanding of what black people and the value that black people bring to a business, right. Um, the other thing that 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 I think that Malcolm X was was really prevalent in a lot of his speeches is, is that it is also the responsibility of the black man to pick themselves up mm-hmm. and become more important. Mm-hmm. And you do that, one, by education. Mm-hmm. Like I said, to him, the person that commanded respect in a prison, you would think that in prison, the person that commanded respect is the one that can- The, the toughest, the, the one toughest, with the biggest guy, crime, The right? guy that can get people to do anything by pointing fingers, even if it's something you know violent like murder. Mm -hmm. That that would be the most respected person to him. The most respected person, the person that commanded that respect was a person that read Read books, books. right. Education. I think years ago, you and I talked about, you asked me, you said, what do you think the biggest equalizer can be economically and socially Mm -hmm. regarding black people and whites? And I said, education, 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 the more educated you are, the more doors that are going to probably open for you. Right. Okay. Economically and socially. Mm-hmm. And, and even though I hate the fact that that's what white America bases things on, we hear it all the time. Every time you watch a draft, okay, NBA, NFL draft, what do they say to about the black student that can articulate when they go to interview him? That he talks twice. He's well-versed. Yeah. He's well-versed. Oh, and he dresses nice, and he's well-versed. And we have a problem with that in our community, too, by saying that they talk white. Absolutely. You know, so when we talk about things like that, and that's one of the things that Malcolm X talks about, too, is the way that even in America, the white America has forced us within our own race, within our own race, to start separating. Right. Okay? You go all the way back to slavery. You had the, the field slave, and you had the house slave. Right. And and as even now we talk about light-skinned blacks and dark dark skinned skinned blacks. blacks. Right. Okay. So that mentality has also hurt us. Right. We've done that. We incorporated some of the same oppressions that our impressor put upon us. Right. And now we're doing it to ourselves. And so what do you expect from your employer? What do you expect? From the bank. Mm-hmm. If you're doing it to yourselves, how are you going to be bad at them for doing it to you? Right. Okay? Right. So obviously, I think that what Malcolm talked about is us being more educated so that economically, we can close this gap. And then also, socially. If you want to be able to get more, you got to be able to communicate that. Yeah, and I believe, um, I believe you know, you said a key thing that is education. Um, and then probably the next episode, we're going to talk about the educational system, the, That's right. the K-12. So when we talk about education, one of the things that Brother Malcolm learned through the Nation of Islam is that education is not just the school system. That's right. As we understood that, you know, uh, Malcolm was basically self-taught in educational field, and he was probably one of the most articulate um, people that we know, and even uh, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, one of the most articulate people that we've ever uh, um, known as far as intellectual ability. So when we talk about education, one of the things that Malcolm talked about is you have to know your history. You have to know your history. So and one of the key things, that, one of my favorite speeches is he asks is, who are you? Where are you from? That's right. What were, were you doing when they took you? And we have to understand who we are as a people in order for us to move forward. And this is the responsibility of the African American to do his own research. And and that's why during Black History Month, I wanted to talk about people that people may not have known about. Because when it comes to Black history, we have to go back and do our research on what we believe. Because the educational system has taught you one way and they've taught you their way without regards to you. We just talked about the the, the Constitution not being written for African Americans, do you think the school educational system been written for you? That's right. We have to go back and do our own research. We have to come back. This is why we're talking about Malcolm X, because the school system has given us one-sided view of uh, of our brother. And when we look at him, we understand the changes that we can make. And one of them is by holding ourselves accountable to number one, education. Mm-hmm. And number two, When it comes to no competition, why capitalism, one of the biggest problems in the African-American community is competition. And the thing is, you might not even sell the same products that somebody sell. You just want to be in competition because you don't want no other black person doing better than you. That is a huge problem. Absolutely. And you don't see that problem a lot in white businesses. You don't see that problem a lot in white politics. You will see politicians, they'll argue with each other and they'll go have lunch together. That's right. Because they understand their different viewpoints and their different perspectives and they understand the the, the bigger picture. And African-Americans have to get on one accord and they have to get a solidarity about themselves. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I think Malcolm was ahead of his time in a lot of his concepts right. in the way that he thought. And a lot of people weren't ready for it then. I often question myself, are we ready for it today? Right. Are we ready for some of those concepts? And the thing is, is you can be ready for the concept, but are you ready to do the work? Right. Are you ready to impose uh, your presence in these, in these situations uh, when they arise? Because obviously I think that's important too, is everybody has an opportunity to make an impact mm-hmm. um, when things arise. And that's when we ought to be thinking about Making that impact right. is when things happen, but you don't always have to wait till something bad happens to make that impact, right. Sometimes you create the avenue to make that impact. And that's what we we need to do as a people. We need to create those avenues, and that's what Malcolm X was talking about. Um we are, in most situations, the most creative people in the world, right? And if you think about some of the things that you see in existence today came from the mind, Of the black man. Right. Uh, For instance, when you see Kentucky Fried Chicken, you never see it spelled out. You see KFC. KFC. You can go to Walmart right now and buy vanilla wafers. And what does it say? Nella wafers. Not vanilla wafers. Right. That's us. Right. That's us making an impact economically mm-hmm. in a system that we don't have anything invested except we buy the product. Right. We 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 don't we don't we got the ideas but we never see the, the value from the ideas. Absolutely right. And then this is what Michael wanted to do when he talked about history knowing where you came from. It's not just the history to know where you're going but it's to give you the value. Right. So you can understand the value that you have at being a black man or a black woman in America. Mm-hmm. You know? Now The other things that we talk about is also, I think I I told you, one of the things that's hardest for me is, I used to think the hardest thing in America to be was a black man. Right. I don't think that anymore. I think the hardest thing to be is a black parent, trying to keep your kids safe and teach them to be proud of their heritage at the same time. Right. Heritage is important. It gives value, value that you may not know, value that you need to take and take it to another level distributed to other people, mainly your kids, mm-hmm. so that they have that same understanding of their value to keep us going. Right. Okay. And I think that that's what Malcolm did in a lot of cases, just his speech. And a lot of people may not have liked his tone, but I know that even coaching basketball, sometimes you had to say a curse word to get somebody's attention. Right. Sometimes you had to yell a little bit to get somebody's attention. And that's what he was doing. Say, so, hey, y'all don't hear me. Y'all not listening to me. Let me get your attention. And I think he did that. I think there were writings. Um, I have to go back and check the source, um, but I just heard this recently. There were writings of him writing to Dr. King and some of the civil civil rights uh, civil, civil rights leaders, in which he told them that he didn't mean to offend them. He just wanted to give a different approach to the civil rights movement, a voice that wasn't being heard. So you had the civil rights movement; they were all talking the same way, most of them, most of them. Mega Irvers may be a little bit. Different than the rest of them. That's right. So, but Malcolm wanted to bring in a different approach because, as we understand, when it comes to speaking, coaching, teaching, that different methodologies can be better for other people. That's right. So, not everybody wanted to hear the nonviolent approach. Let's get one thing clear That's there right. were some people that came from self and moved up north and said, We disagree with Dr. King. Because we 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 tired of getting beat, we tired of getting killed, so we agree with you, Malcolm. So there are some people that needed Malcolm, and let's be let's be very very clear and be very very honest for a second. That Dr. King alone, that the school system tried to tell us, got the, the voting stuff passed and got the civil rights move, uh, bill passed. No, a lot of people were afraid of of Malcolm X. That's right. By his approach, when you look, we, that's why we got to know our history. The Emancipation Proclamation and the freedom of slaves did not just come from the North saying, you know, this is what we want to happen. It came from slave revolts. That's right. The people in the North were scared as hell. They were scared that black people were going to take over. And when you understand history. And you understand how America is built on blood and violence and hatred that sometimes that is the only way that solutions have been handled is through fear. That's so right. Malcolm understood this by saying, listen, the more we say kumbaya, the more we try to act like everything is okay. The more they can say the civil rights movement can go for another 60 years and we're still fighting it today. That's right. And that's one of the things that Malcolm did not want. He didn't care about progress. Don't tell me about progress because we shouldn't be having to make progress if you seen me as a human. Exactly. Why do we need progress? Why do we need these bills passed? Why do we need white people to change their minds? Why do we need all of these things? If you really cared the way that you say that you care, Lyndon B. Johnson, John F. Kennedy, whatever, who's ever in office, if all of the people who are uh, are marching, if they really cared, we wouldn't have to do this. That's right. That's so don't don't give me crumbs and expect me to be happy with a meal. And when you, and a lot, there was a lot of criticism on the uh, One Night in Miami movie of Malcolm being too serious. But when you look at Malcolm, he knew that he had to be serious because it was too much playing around and he was sick of progress. And when you look at the influence that he had on Muhammad Ali. It helped spark more change because they understood how serious things was. That's right. And to not just be happy with progress. And he he also understood that. And I I used to tell you guys this back in the day when I used to coach um, and started the Hoops Kid program is that every individual has a window of opportunity that they can be influential in someone's life mm-hmm. And for some people that window can close very quickly. Mm-hmm. So you because of the limited amount of time you have to be influential, you you need to be serious right because you need to get done as much as you can before that window closes. And Malcolm wasn't an idiot. I mean no. Malcolm knew that at some point having all these people, including the nation of Islam, uh, you know after he left in 1963, of 1964 thinking that somebody's going to try to kill me Mm -hmm. because they Mm want to shut me up, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, So he wanted, he needed to be serious. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I think his, his level of seriousness um, is perpetuated in his speeches. Right. And I believe that's why we have to look at history and Malcolm X chronologically and not episodically, because when you look at them chronologically, we understand, we understand Malcolm. By understanding W.B. Du Bois, Garvey, Mm -hmm. Dr. Wade Nobles, and then we understand the Black Power Movement. That's right. We understand some of the leaders that we have today. Some of the people, we understand Colin Kaepernick. That's right. We understand these people when we begin to look at Malcolm chronologically by understanding who he was, what he was saying in a short amount of time, I should say, from history to future. So we look at history to understand what's going on today and the things that are that are being done today. Malcolm was already speaking on it. That's Malcolm right. was already foreseeing some of these things because he's seen the way that the civil rights movement. Now, again, we're not talking about the civil rights movement to bash them for anything. They they've done what they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But his thing was It's just going to take too long because most people think the civil rights movement just started or the NAACP started with Dr. King. That's That's not true. That's not true. We're talking 100 years before. We're talking about a long time coming. But I know a change is going to come. And Malcolm just didn't want to wait for that change. That's right. He wanted it for his people. And that's one thing when we look at Malcolm and we break this down into conclusion that Malcolm loved his people. Absolutely, He loved the African and American people not just African-American. He's loved black people. This is why the, the movement went international because he started to understand that Africa, he started to understand that South America, Central America, he started understanding that different places where slaves was taken to were African people that needed to start understanding who they were because if you're in the UN, you understand that a lot of you guys' roots come from Africa, That's which right. is why a lot of us are brothers and sisters and a lot of us are fighting the same fight, but we should be fighting it together. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the international appeal from Malcolm X, I think, was huge uh, because in, in, in concept in the beginning, he thought that uh, the way that some of these countries were dealing with the, the, the oppression was using socialism. Mm-hmm. He was under that impression in the very beginning. And then he found out they weren't. Mm-hmm. So when he started talking about socialism in the United States... Other countries started listening and mm-hmm. started imposing some of those same ideas about socialism, mm-hmm. using the 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 mass majority to pull up the minority and overcome some of the crisis in those communities. Well, and I think one of the, the, the things that get misconstrued about socialism is once you hear socialism, you automatically think communism. That's right. But they they're 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 the same thing, kind of, but. Socialism deals with the economic power. That's right. So you're talking about money. That's right. So when you hear about communism, communism communism is a political government thing to where everything is controlled by the government. That's right. But socialism is the money being controlled because we have to look at it from a chronological perspective that African-Americans were already behind on to white America to begin to gain capital, build capital. That's right. And when we did build the capital, because we're going to talk about the Reconstruction period, how great black people were doing in in their towns before they were burned down. There were some places and some black people that were doing more well off than white people. And that was not going to fly. That's right. So we we do have to understand that from a chronological era. So as we wrap this up, um, we just went down to philosophies. Uh, we went through the transformation. We went through the um, to Brother Malcolm. And again, one thing I want you to take, I want you to thank. We want you to thank. We wanted you to know your history. And I believe if uh, Brother Malcolm was still alive today and he's still alive in spirit with us, is one of the things that he would tell black people to do is continue to support black businesses, because that is the thing that is the new wave right now, black entrepreneurship. I don't care if they own a building. If they're hustling, I don't care. Support them to where they can own their own building. We have to begin to funnel the money. Stop supporting Nike and Adidas and giving them all of your money, whatever the case. Support the people that are in your neighborhood who have their own clothing brands. They have their own products. They have their own food. Support your people. And that is how we're gonna be able to pick up the, 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 the black community. Because as we see in the inner cities, they're trying to do it for us and it's called gentrification and we have no control over that money as well that's right i want to add one last thing to that too is that i think when this is i think when you were doing your black history month uh postings uh i tried to give you some some women yes i I think it's important that people understand the importance of the black woman uh in some of these movements and these conversations and when you look at brother malcolm x I think it's important to understand that we can talk all day long about the reasons why he left the nation of Islam. But it's one thing we gotta include is that some of the information and 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 feelings that Betty, Betty. had regarding things that she heard about Elijah Muhammad. The lovely Betty Shabazz. Exactly. Yes. So, you know, there was some 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 talk about him having some kids. And uh, she went to Malcolm and said, hey, you need to find out, because if this is true, we don't want to follow a man that's not true to the religion. Right. And the we, movement is great, but the religion is more important. We, and we have to understand that Betty Shabazz was very, very um, influential in the Nation of Islam as well. So she's not just talking from Malcolm's perspective. She's talking from her own. Absolutely. And uh, Malcolm did. He went and met with these women and these women said, yeah, you know, obviously, uh, he's Elijah Muhammad's child, whatever, you know, and, and with that, Betty said, you know, we, we can't follow a guy like that. Right. You know, it, it's it's imperative upon us not to follow a guy like that. Right. So I, I think obviously we, we always want to include the fact that she was very important to Malcolm X and that he also talked about family, family values in the black household. Mm-hmm. And I always want to urge people that you want to make sure you take care of your families. Mm-hmm. That, that's important. If You got kids take care of, not just financially, mm-hmm. education, spend time with them, talk to them, teach them, prepare them, mm-hmm. protect them. You need to do all those things. It's important. Black families need to come first. And a lot of times we don't do that as a, as a people. We need to start doing that. Uh, uh, Dr. Marvin McGinnis. Uh, something he and I used to talk about all the time when they instituted the SOLs. And we used to talk about the fact that a lot of the things that was on the SOL test were things that white families talked about at the dinner table. Mm-hmm. How many of us eat dinner as a family where well, we discuss things in front of our kids, educational things, things that they can, that can benefit them mm-hmm. instead of talking about what little Chris did down the street yesterday or what happened on a football game. Right. You know, it's things like that as a family, as a family unit, we need to start thinking about it in our, in our black families and neighborhoods. Absolutely. Um, I love that. I love that. Um, so, um, again, we appreciate everybody for listening. For the sources of what we were talking about, you can look at the autobiography of, uh, of Malcolm X by Alex Haley, that's behind me right here. Um, also, the um, Aspiring. Uh, about the life of Malcolm X that kind of fills in the holes of the autobiography. I don't have the physical copy. I only have the digital copy of that. Um, you can look at there are a number of books on Malcolm X. There are a number of writings and journalism. Uh, you can uh, actually find some writings that Coretta Scott wrote about Malcolm X That's when right. she met him that talks about his different philosophies of, of, of coming in that she talked to Dr. King about. So, again, we're, we're going to do an episode on Dr. King about his philosophies as well, because there's the things that changed in his transformation when he met with some um, different people right. that we're going to talk about um, on the next episode. So on the next episode, we're going to probably talk about the the educational system and the K-12 um, is probably where I want to go. but. We're going to continue to be unapologetic. We're going to continue to give our perspective and we're going to continue to uh, give out information. But it's up to you to take that information and do your own research about it. Don't take our word for it. We're here to make you think unapologetically. Thank y'all. Love y'all. Hotep to the family.